answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Thanks for joining yeah, us this, uh, this day, this weekend, this podcast time. Whatever time you're listening. Both myself and my co-host here, we're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, charter financial consultant. We spend our weekdays helping people like yourself come here, broadcast on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air. And we've been doing this program for 25 years. Yep. And That's right. Lovely, lovely time. 25 years. It has been good times. Mostly. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. So we record the program midweek. We have a studio in our office. Our calls are, I guess, like if you watch a, um, um, a, a talk show on television. Yes. Every, everyone knows they're all pre-recorded. Yes. Judge Judy or whatever you're watching, Ellen. right? Okay. Okay. They're recorded. Some are some are recorded that day. Some are recorded. They record several at once. Ours are typically recorded within a. Well, typically record one or two programs at a time. Just being full disclosure here, midweek we broadcast on the weekends. And people call into the show, so you'll hear us give out the number, and you'll say, "Why are they giving out the number?" Well, people will call in and ask a question, and you will then uh, be signed up to talk to us live in yes, a we'll few schedule days. a time yes. when yes. it's convenient for everybody. To make it happen. So if you'd like to join us, 833-99-WORTH is the number. 833-99-WORTH. If you forget it, you can always go to our website and uh, find it there. Uh, but to your point, it's mostly been... <laughs> we were live for most of those 25 years. and Every weekend. If we had times when we would have a... Um, Anyway, it's irrelevant. You don't care about that. You yeah. care about the financial <laughs> But yourself. Stuff. Yeah, you care about yourself. And you know what's bizarre right now is, I don't know why it's not specific. Home prices are up quite a bit. So nationally, home prices for the month of July, it's a little later because it takes a while to get this data for whatever reason, were up 5.5% higher than they were the previous year. And they were up, Four, almost 4.5% in the month of June. So home prices keep going up higher. Partially even- driven by lower interest rates. And this hasn't happened on a national level. In fact, if you follow this at all, you'll see that home prices in major metropolitan areas, uh, highly dense, uh, pop- densely populated cities, are actually falling. Just a bit, though. Um, they're falling, though. They are falling. Um, and you wonder what's going to happen in places like... The big cities in inner city. New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Seattle, Portland. But uh, home, yeah, and we're really seeing it in uh, vacation type spots. That's where price home prices have been driven up significantly. And areas like Park City and Lake Tahoe and some of these areas, Hamptons, Montauk. Yeah, these vacation spots we're seeing because people are like, wait a minute, I could work remotely? Like, where do I like to hang out? Where do I like to vacation? Maybe I could just live where I like to vacation. And we're seeing it. It's a lot of these second home buyers that can afford it. They're driving prices. And one of the unfortunate things about this situation, this season of coronavirus, which everyone calls it COVID now. It used to be called, I understand the differences, but it's referred to much more now as COVID than coronavirus is the we already had a pretty big gap between the haves and the haves nots and this is awful if you were struggling before uh this is awful just awful i remember pat this is probably literally probably 20 years ago and i was talking to 
uh, some clients. And, and I mean, we were talking about risk things. And I'm like, well, I can't guarantee you the federal U.S. government's going to be in existence for the rest of your life. So there's, we can only get so far in certainty. And they say, well, what's the thing that, that it makes you the most concerned? Just like 20 years ago. This was 20 years ago. And I said, it's the uh, shrinking of the middle class and the growing disparity between the haves and the have-nots and what that can do to uh, a society over a long period of time. The destabilization of the society, yes. which I think we're, which is the biggest. And you're by no means liberal, what, P- politically speaking. Uh, well, not financially, fiscally, no. Okay. Yeah, I am a capitalist. Yeah, and I because I don't see if if and someone you, could show me something else that worked better, then I'd be buying it. Would you lean more to the libertarian side? Uh, if any of them spectrum. got elected, yes. Okay. <laughs> if they actually had any power, probably my, yes, myself but, yeah. as well. Right. <laughs> um, so the, the, no, I, no. I mean, and look, I mean, and so we don't. I'm not from. I don't mean to make a political statement on it. I'm just stating the, this the, is real. The, yeah. the 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 wealth gap disparity that is was is exasperated by the last recession. That's right. Has gotten even larger this time. And the dependence upon government subsidies is going to create quite um, a quagmire to get out of. Yes. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be doing government subsidies because you can't let people starve. Of course. Um, anyway. We should go to this. I'm but getting, it's strange. I'm getting when depressed. Can I we saw you know, prices in Lake Tahoe, as an example, vacation. I just read this in the Wall Street Journal a week or so ago, up 18% year over year. So there's people that have the money. These are primarily, I would imagine, people in the Bay Area that work for the uh, tech companies. Or people that middle-class Bay Area. San Francisco can uh, sell their $1.3 million house. Um, I know know a retired police officer uh, from San Jose, and his wife is a flight attendant at Southwest Airlines, and they just bought a $1.4 million home, my guess is what they paid for it. Um, which, uh, if you look at what their income, uh, in the Lake Tahoe region, uh, this was in Northern California and in, uh, uh, in the Sacramento area. But if you look at their income and the price of the house that they bought, there seems to be a disparity. So either they inherited money or they made a boatload of money. They made a boatload on their house that they sold in San Jose, San Jose. It's amazing. The home prices there. Anyway, it's a, um, it's a strange, it's an interesting, yeah, but Let's go to the calls. One eight three three ninety nine worth. That's one eight three three triple nine six seven eight four. We're going to talk with Cliff in Northern California. Cliff. Hi, Pat. How you doing? Good. You, Cliff. Good. Hey, I had a question. Well, uh, I have a feeling that we're going into an inflationary period with the government writing checks all the time without the money to back it up. And that being said, is this a good time to get out of your IRA and roll into Roth IRAs? Pay the tax. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I don't know if the idea of the inflation, first of all, you're asking two different questions. One driven on a monetary policy, which is inflation, which is kind of exactly the uh, opposite of what the Federal Reserve did last week in order to to actually keep interest rates low for an extended period of time to create a little bit of inflation. Um, you, you know, this is a... I listened to this great podcast. This we just week. saw our debt exceed our GDP. For the first time ever. That's right. Right. And the only... There's a week or week and a half ago. Uh, there's a very small club of countries that have done that. Japan, Italy... Greece, I think that's the short list, and the United States, where our debt has exceeded what we produce, the entire country produces on an annual basis. That's right. So, um, so the answer so to it's the a big number. It's uh, a big relative uh, to our. So, I, while inflation may actually be out there, I don't think there's any actually short-term worry about inflation. And when I say short-term, in the next two to three years, uh, I don't think inflation. Mostly because of the competitive uh, global environment for goods and services 
and the amount of available labor that is actually not in the workforce right now, um, both in the U.S. and globally. If we were high unemployment and we were having these kind of issues, I'd worry about uh, inflation. But I think over the long term, if you ask me one of my bigger concerns right now over the next decade, two decades, it would be inflation. Not for 2020, not for 2021, but I don't know how else the government's going to take care of this debt. But not in the short term. No, I'm not in the short term. Right. Not in the next, as I said, two, three, four That's years. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cor- next correct. Year, I mean, I- correct. So, um, so that's that's uh, let's talk about actually taking the money from your IRA and putting it in a Roth IRA. You can hold the same investments in either. That I'd be more concerned about what tax inflationary on the taxes, right? Yeah. So what what what's your tax rate? Your what's your annual income right now for the family, Cliff? My gross taxable right now is seventy thousand dollars a year. And are you single or married? Married. And uh, how old are you? 68. Are you working? I'm retired. You are. And how much money do you have in IRAs? 900,000. Yeah, and, I definitely would be converting some. Yeah. Wait, you, you how much money in, do you have uh, California. in How much money do you have in Roth IRAs? None. Okay. And do you think you're in Northern California, are you going to stay here long term? This is where the grandchildren are. Okay. So okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. You guys have a common enemy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would absolutely, I would absolutely start converting, yeah. especially prior to age seventy-two, when your required minimum yeah. uh, distribution kicks in. Because that's going to be thirty, thirty grand a year. You're going to have to take that out. So what you want to do is actually either work with your accountant, do it yourself, or find a financial advisor to determine how much money you should be converting on an annual basis. Because the tax right, rates are well, very, they're, they're stepped, right? And they're progressive. So right now you're in a 22% federal tax bracket. And when you hit right. a certain point, which some of your, which you'll, you're going to hit this point somewhere down the road with your required minimum distributions, it jumps from 12% to 22%. So it's a 10% incremental bump. So if you talk about a $1,000 withdrawal today or $1,000 converted to Roth, Roth IRA, you've got 120 bucks goes to uh, the federal government if you if you wait and it's it's in it when you're in a higher tax bracket now you've got 220 dollars so that's a i look at that like a 10 percent arbitrage right now, if you can how much money do you have outside of iris i have a defined benefit pension okay and social security and about a hundred thousand dollars in cash okay so that's yeah, what you're like a poster child yeah for yeah yeah, yeah yeah perfect because you'd use that hundred thousand dollars in cash to pay the tax liability well, not that it wouldn't take that much but, but it my, would take guess some. Is my guess is you'd probably want to convert thirty or forty thousand dollars each year be- between now and the time you have your required minimum distribution but if he converts thirty thousand dollars he's going to get a ten or twelve thirteen thousand yeah, dollars tax you'd use bill. some of it you're going to use some of not all hundred grand but you're you, you, this is textbook you're perfect perfect yeah, case for it textbook and forget about the inflation because that's not going to affect uh whether you convert or not convert it's just going to affect the overall economy it's the taxes that are actually that are that and do you believe the state of california tax rates are maybe higher in the future just a I believe both the federal and the state will be higher in the future. There yeah. you go. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons. And um, you're, I'm, if I were a betting man, which I'm not a betting man, but I, I look at statistical probabilities, there is a chance that some with large retirement plan balances, large Roth retirement plan balances, have to pay some sort of tax or penalty on their accumulation of Roth IRAs upon dis- when they take a disbursement. Really? I mean, how- I, but I don't think you're one of those to worry about. Yes. Because you're solid middle class. Here. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you were over $5 million. That's right. Or whatever the numbers. They've done it in the past. Yeah, I don't see that yeah. being a worry. So you absolutely want to start that. You want to put a plan to do it the maximum amount to the highest level in the marginal tax rate? between now and your age 72 and look at both federal taxes and state it's just running right, a, like, right running a, like you're running your tax just like you're doing your taxes just do it early and we don't know what next year's tax rates are going to be we knew we do know this year's so now's right. a now's a perfect time right. to start running the numbers you got until december 31st 
and if I'm if I'm willing to go an extra two percent, I can go a lot higher on the amount that I can convert. That's right, going from twenty two percent to twenty four percent. I know, correct? but you're gonna want to you're gonna want to. Yeah, you want to run a pro forma of your yeah. tax to determine where that level because is. Because you're, you're gonna with. you're gonna want to do it just up to the twenty two percent level. Because if you're on, let's say let's say you were seventy two right now and you had required minimum distributions, your required min- minimum distributions are going to be about thirty three thousand dollars a year, which is still in the twelve percent tax bracket. So I don't want. I would hate to see you pay at twenty two percent bracket today when we can have reasonable assurance that you're going to be somewhere in the ball. Maybe it won't be twelve percent. Maybe it'll be fifteen percent. Back in a few years from now, but I, I don't. Who knows what tax rates are going to do? But you, you basically, right. do you it's do a your, good bet right do now. You, Cliff, do you do your own tax return? Yes, I do. Okay, well then, just go in there and uh, model some pro formas, and it will tell you how much you yeah. should uh, uh, convert every year based on the marginal rate. Pretty easy, right? All righty. Okay. All right. Thanks I for like the call. The thinking, Cliff. Appreciate it. Makes sense appreciate to me. The call. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely makes sense to do some. Looking at the Roth right now. Let's continue on with calls and talk with Charles. Charles, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Yeah, good afternoon. Hi, Charles. Hi. So my, my question is, uh, I'm 60 years old, uh, retired. My wife is still working. Um, I have a mortgage for $150,000 on a house that's market value is probably four hundred. dollars um, And I'm pondering whether or not I should uh, dip into my 401k, which I haven't touched, um, and pay off the house, um, trying to keep myself in the 22% tax bracket and pay it off over the next couple of years, or uh, go ahead and take a larger sum now, pay the 24% tax bracket, and then pay it off uh, in January with a, another minor draw. What's the interest rate on the, I'm sorry, what's the interest rate on your mortgage? 3.75%. How much? much? <laughs> Scott's what do you have in your question. 401k? Uh, 815000 And how much is your pension? Um, uh, uh, 52000 a year. Gross. How, how old's your wife? Uh, 57. And does she have any money saved for retirement? Uh. Thirty-some thousand dollars in a IRA that she no longer contributes to. And how much does she earn working? She uh, fifty-five thousand. Together, we gross about one hundred seven thousand. Do you have any money in cash or anything outside these IRAs or four hundred one ks? I've got about uh, thirty thousand dollars in cash. And how much longer is your wife going to keep working? Um. She reaches full retirement at age 62. Will she get a pension? So, she will from the state, yes. Yeah, How much will she get? Uh, about 2300 a month. Oh, gross. all right. And do you get, will you receive Social Security, either one of you? Uh, yeah, we both will. Listen, I got to tell you, first of all, I'm impressed by you alone, just like being able to rattle that yeah, stuff right. off. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm impressed by the fact that you actually, uh, you actually started talking about marginal tax rates as we were explaining in the previous caller how they worked. You were explaining to us actually what each one of those consequences were for a marginal tax rate. Um, Here's the challenge. Uh, the, the money in your 401k is yet to be taxed, right? So you take Correct. it out and you got to pay taxes. And if you took 150 out today, it not only is the, it's not only is the marginal tax rate, but then you stop you start losing part of your itemized deductions. There's other phase outs that start hitting you, and I don't think you've got some of these other tax credits that you other other people might have at your because of your age. But <sighs> what's the thirty thousand in the bank for? What are you using that for? Um, I have it sitting there as uh, um, two items. About half of it is in emergency savings, and the other half of it is. Part of my federal retirement under the new retirement system, um, I get what's called a first supplement. It's 70% of my Social Security annuity at age 62. Uh, but I got that from when I retired a year ago till midnight on my 62nd birthday. So, so I take I take half of that that I get every month and I put it in the bank, uh, figuring that because I didn't want to draw Social Security till I was 65 or 67. 
I like the way you're kind of half them. Yeah, half them. I don't know. I listen. I don't know whether I'd pay this mortgage off now or not. Um, I would not. Here's what. Here's. I'd have to play with some numbers, but but at first blush. Tell me, tell me ta- what you I think. think the taxes are just going to eat you too too badly to, to do it. But what you could do, and if it's really important, is carve off a couple hundred thousand of this into a separate IRA, invest it in mainly conservative-type investments, and have it send a check each month to whatever the balance is that's going to your mortgage payment right now. If your idea is you want to free up the cash flow, that's one way to free up the cash flow. That would be psychological. 100%. So basically, you're matching maturities. You're taking an asset here. So to pay off this $150,000, you'd have to have $225,000, $250,000 in the IRA because there's a tax reduction as it goes across. Or you pay this out over the next five years. Or 10 years. So why don't yeah, you look at refinancing uh, this into a uh, like a 10-year fixed-rate mortgage to see if you can drive the interest? Years and- well, because the interest rates would be lower on a 10-year, would they not? A quarter percent or forget about paying it. I mean, it doesn't. Every situation is different, right? And you've heard if you heard the right. show enough, it's like pay, we're big fans of having the home paid off. But I mean, your situation—you've both got these great pensions, right? <laughs> which is a total game changer at retirement. And you both right. are eligible for Social Security, so you're going to have all this guaranteed income coming in, and your mortgage payment. If you actually look, you, you might be paying your taxes and insurance. And, compound so it feels bigger than it is your mortgage payment's pretty dang small so it's really kind of negligible um yeah my, my house payments um uh, uh, 1270 bucks a month with taxes and insurance included yeah so if you back that out it's it's you know what is 700 bucks a month or something going towards uh to the mortgage right yeah so it's negligible relative to your overall situation. Yeah, I can't see uh because of the tax implications yeah, the reason I would, that uh, I would not recommend that I, I would even I might Paid off over ten years just for psychological reasons, but um, I don't think it's going to matter one way or the other. Or take a thousand bucks a month from your four hundred one k now and and increase your pay- payment to the yeah, that won't the drive mortgage. them into a higher marginal rate. To be negligible. Of. Yeah. Yep. So, but t- t- the idea of taking a lump sum out and doing it over a year or two years bad idea. Yeah, it's too. Okay. It's the, the the taxes are too much too graduated. I don't know what the tax structure is in Maryland, but I'm guessing it's not not the lowest in the country. <laughs> It's, it's not pleasant. I, all right. Yeah. Well, listen, you can play Baltimore is such a lovely city and safe and all that, so it's, you got that going for you. But yeah. uh, it actually, the downtown Baltimore is Baltimore quite, is down the, by the water? The waterfront's quite beautiful. Yeah, and they eat yeah. those one crabs Gorgeous. where you eat, eat like one of their legs or something. Is Maryland's that, got some beautiful spots. Listen, right. I think in Baltimore, the guy brought me to a place where they only take one of the crab legs and throw them back in the water. Is that, am I thinking of the right place? I don't know. Blue. Blue crabs Blue here, crabs. hard crabs here. They eat the whole thing. Oh, got it. So. You guys are known for your oysters, yeah. are you not? Isn't that what Maryland's known for? Yeah, we got oysters, blue crabs. <laughs> anyway, all right. Yeah. Appreciate the so. call. But uh, Scott, all right. Thank, all right. You, thank you. But but mostly of the sea, Eastern Seaboard was known for their oysters. In fact, um, the <laughs> I, don't tell me you read a book on the history I did. of oysters. <laughs> I did. I read the book on the history of oysters in America. <laughs> That's literally the book you read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It was called Oyster. It was the same guy that wrote the book Cod about the history of cod in America. Um, so Pat reads some of the most obscure books, the history of oysters in America. That was the book. Well, it's called Oyster. Yeah, it's Oyster. the history of um, oysters in America. And oysters. It's a patron. You can. It's like Pat. Can you turn off the light, honey? I can't. I can't put this book down. It's fascinating. But, no, but Scott, the, 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 you put the, the, you can put Tabasco on it. No, no. You can eat them. <laughs> no, but think about it. Agriculture was the economic foundation of America, and cod and oysters played a massive role in tobacco, cotton, in um, the forming of of the united states i mean at one point time because that was a major food source it was like and a, a protein that was before manufacturing it was this is oysters didn't pack as well or store as well as cod did but the locals ate i mean you could go the, the original bars you could go there and they'd sell an oyster for a penny or two each because they were so plentiful the streets were filled with oyster shells just throw them out the back door anyway let's go on to the radio show <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> There but if you're right. a, if you like that sort of thing, I would recommend any book by Michael Pollan, the, uh, the Defense of Food, The Omnivore's Dilemma, um, 
uh, The Botany of Desire, uh, the book uh, Cod, Salt, or Oyster. All excellent books. Uh, I think, it's, you know, the, one of the things I enjoy about being human is the fact that we're all wired a little differently. And I, I think I find those, I appreciate our differences much more the older I get. Um, I like diversity as long as they're like me. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a, a quick break. Um, stick around for more. We'll take a couple more calls too when we come back. And you are listening to Allworth's Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean of Allworth Financial. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McClain. And um, by the way, it's been a weird season when uh, most of us have, I don't think we're quite sheltered in place like we once were, most of us, but there's still a bit of... uh, no one's still, most people aren't out and about like they were, including um, our clients, yes. our advisors. It's just. Um, it's been a different world. Yeah. We've gotten really good. We think we have. Well, our clients tell us we've gotten good. Okay. At uh, uh, virtual meetings, uh, video meetings, with Zoom clients. meetings. I actually, I can, I've been doing it with my clients. I, I enjoy them. The clients seem to enjoy them. Just because it's so, it's almost, it's much more casual than it is in the office. It's much more relaxed. It kind of is, huh? Yeah. They're there, right? And even if we had a a cure tomorrow, a vaccine tomorrow, this this new wave of having virtual meetings is not going away. It is part. It's not going to replace in-person meetings entirely. But it will certainly enhance uh, relationships between service companies like our own and our clients. I had a call, virtual call with my CPA a couple weeks ago. Um, and I had only had phone calls with him before. You'd never seen him in person. I had been years. I had been years, but it's my, my, the reason I'm bringing this up. If we've got a great team of advisors, every once in a while we do a little pitch and we're doing a little pitch right now. <laughs> uh, mainly because I think we do a great job. We've got a, we got a great team of advisors, 80, 80 or so advisors, certified financial planners, uh, and we've got a great team of CPAs on staff, et cetera. So if, for, if you're, maybe you're not totally happy with your current relationship, maybe you're, you're close to retirement, wondering if you're in the right place for retirement, maybe you're wondering if you've got the right kind of investment portfolio right now, just have a, a free consultation with one of our advisors. It's painless, it's easy, uh, and we're happy to set one up. So go to allworthfinancial.com. And um, you can do a little thing of connect. I don't. There, obviously, we somewhere, send you and I yeah. somewhere on our website. We'll tell you how to meet it's with easy. one of our. And I think you might enjoy it. Anyway, let's take some calls. Um, and let's go to Kathy. Kathy, you're with Allworth Money Matters. Hi. Hi, Kathy. I was just wondering, with the market, how are you guys today? I was just wondering, with the investment market, stocks and other investment vehicles right now, the way they are, might it be a good time to get back into investing in rental properties? Rentals. So isn't this an interesting, um, I had this discussion with my 24 year old son um, about buying a, here's the thing. I mean, about him buying a house, uh, which he would then rent rooms out to roommates. So um, let me explain premise this by saying we have no idea what future prices are going to be we're not clairvoyant but when we're in an environment when rents decline and you've got you're in california in california they said you can no you cannot evict any tenants and there's some also someone there's a legislator trying to push forward some legislation where you could have a a renter pay their what's back due over the last 10 years but the state's going to make the Landlord hall or something. Uh, tax credit with the use tax of tax credit. I can't imagine that. But um, one would ha- one would assume that 
there would be a high probability of some prices coming down, particularly on the rental stock of homes, the kind of homes that tend to be rented out. But at the same time, then that you'd ha- may or may not ha- happen because mortgage, but, but they could go up because <laughs> mortgage rates are so low. And where else are you going to put the money? That's right. So what do you do? You, how would you pay for this uh, rental property? Um, we have quite a few rental properties and you know, not let's just say we're not highly leveraged. Okay. Um, and so you own a number of them. So it, it, you're not new to the space. When was the last rental property you purchased? What year? Probably at the down when the market started going up in 2012. The okay. end of 2012. Right. So, so what's uh, your question for yeah, us? How do we feel? Is that what your question is? Yeah, just generally. Um, I would be patient. You know, I've been thinking that because of these things going on in California, it might be a good time to buy because other people might be afraid of it. And people have to live somewhere. We haven't seen and- that reflected <laughs> in the prices yet, though. So um, I, as Pat terms, said, be patient. Be patient. We can... haven't seen it reflected in the prices of the yeah. real estate yet, yet. So and they may uh, or may not. I guess I'm. I guess I'm more concerned with the fact that it seems like rents are going up in preparation for what the state might do. Oh, in terms of uh, in terms of, of I'm, I'm uh, sure, rent control. You know, as far as the rental income, even yeah. if I bought a house at fair market value today. My biggest concern is rent and what yeah, they're going to do. Are they right. going to make you rent control? You know, evictions hard, and you know we've had a number of properties for a number of years, and we have a very good property manager. We've had like one eviction, so they're I know, but I just want to. But right at, now, I mean, I'm just so if we play out a few months from now, do you have no concern that some of your tenants aren't going to be able to pay rent, or no concern that you'll have a vacancy that'll be tough to fill? I. Don't have those concerns okay. because of the shortage of houses well, and it, rentals. So and I think they'll get it will get worse so as far as do you own shortage. any properties outside of California? Um, not anymore. Well, that's if, if I was going to. But by the way, so let's give a, a view of the landscape that's different between now and 2012. Even if prices, let's say, decline. Uh, real estate prices decline, let's say 15, 20, 30 percent, and it is an attractive market to buy again. The last time around, there were not consolidators in the industry that owned thousands of homes backed with Wall Street money. Like there is today. Like there is today. Okay. So these guys went around and rolled up hundreds of properties. So there were people, I have friends, that would put together these investment pools of 10, 15, 20 million dollars and they would go out and purchase 20, 30, 40 homes. They'd buy them at the courthouse steps. They'd refurb them a little. They'd put a tenant into them. And once they got a big enough block, them not knowing what they were going to do with them, we were approached by Wall Street that said, hey, if they could do it at 30 million, we could do it at 300 million or we could do it at three billion dollars. So we saw private equity and large institutions, including pension funds, move into this space to purchase those houses, which brought stability to the rental markets, right? And they used leverage. They had less expensive cost of borrowing at an institutional leverage level than you do as an individual. It's different this time around. It is absolutely different this time around. So in saying that, we don't know whether that's well, stabilizing for the markets. Another or- thing that's very different is the ability for the renters to pay their rent. That's right. That's right. Because of the government subsidies that stepped into it uh, in terms short of short term. But they can't the government can't forever. Like we can't shut the economy down and keep printing dollars and be so, like this. We can survive. So I don't I would if you're asking me my personal opinion. Uh, I would not be. Yes, that's I, what I'm asking. I, I'm not in any hurry to buy any real estate at this point in time, right? And I'm, I'm not, not in a hurry to buy anything at this point in time. And I'm not a market timer. <laughs> I don't think you should be in a hurry to. I agree with Scott. I, there isn't anything that clearly says, uh, especially in real estate, especially in the state of California, um, with the fact. Maybe they say you can't evict anyone for nine months or twelve months or two years. Well, what happens then? People stop paying. Even though they can pay, they're going to stop paying because they know at the end of this, they're just going to move out, right? I When I was in high school, I worked at a restaurant, 
and there was a gentleman that worked in the kitchen, and his name was Fried Fred. And Fried Fred told me. <laughs> fried Fred. That's what we call him is Fried <laughs> nice. Fred. He was fried. But Fried Fred, I'm in the, a, a senior in high school. Fried Fred tells me how he and his buddies do it. They go in. One of them dresses nice, gets his hair cut, meets with the landlord, rents the place. He said we would put first and last months down, and that was it. Never again, not another penny. Nice, fried Fred. <laughs> and he said, Fraud Fred. Fried Fred. Fried, fraud Fred. <laughs> fried Fred say it took him about six months before they finally get evicted. And then the other guy whose record was pretty clean, who had a pretty good credit record, they would just well, do, it do it again. Years. Do it year, year over year over year. So Fried Fred figured it out without even the blessing of the U.S. Gov- or the state government. At no, the that, time. There's going to be so many with damaged credit during this cycle. But the answer to your question is I would not be in a hurry to go into any any real estate market at this point in time. And if I were going to go into the market, I I would probably look for a state different than uh, yeah. uh, California. California. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway, hey. And I love the great state of California. I've, I've lived here most of my life. Um, but in terms of an economic, there are more economically advantageous places to own real estate than in California. Appreciate the call, Kathy. You know, it's interesting, but on a, on I wonder a, what ever happened to Fried Fred, Scott. Gee, I don't know. I'm sure life turned out. <laughs> so my, my oldest daughter, 24, just she's about to graduate from grad school in Denver. She wants to stay in Denver. She, her and her roommate rented a two-bedroom apartment in this uh, apartment building. She'd love to stay there. Of course, her job prospects are not what they <laughs> today are what they were. But So she's got a plan in place. And so I don't think she thought she'd been in this position, nor did I, but I'm going to kind of help her. She's transitioning into this um, business she's starting up. She's got a master's in sports psychology. And um, so I said, well, let me just, uh, I, I co-signed on the rent for her originally. I said, let me t- talk to the landlord and um, we'll work out a deal. She says, what do you mean? And like, I can't imagine there's a waiting list for apartments right now. I'll learn soon enough, right? But we're talking to them. Right. I thought my thought is look, who knows how let's get a six month, let's get a one bedroom apartment for six months, let's ask for two months free or something, or at least a month free. Or I said they're gonna want to give you months free versus lowering the rent because it's gonna be it'll look cash flow better for their properties. But if I were in that situation Did you call the yeah, we had this conversation not two days oh, ago? Oh, got it. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Because well, that's what I'm going to work out with somebody. Yeah, the, the, because there are people that look. There are people that are not paying their rent, and the people that are paying their rents, they want to keep. Right. I think I'm a pretty good credit risk. Yes. yes. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> Let's continue on in Loveland, Colorado, and we're talking with Karen. Karen, you're you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, Scott and Pat. I'm Karen from Loveland, Colorado. All right. And I am um, almost 59 and a half. My husband is 67. I work full time. Um, my income can fluctuate some, but I make between 175000 and 200 a year. My husband's on a um, state pension of 75000 a year. I have been maxing out my um 401k, you know, with pre-tax, not Roth, and I'm also maxing out my HSA. I have about 750000 saved in 401k and IRA, and I'm wondering if I should start contributing to a Roth 401k. One of the questions I always have for my CPA every year is, how do I pay less taxes? <laughs> so he always recommends that I stay in the pre-tax um, 401k, you know, to lower our income. And also the other issue is my husband is collecting, um, Medicare and, you know, his Medicare premiums are based on our combined income, you know, so I try to minimize my income as much as I can, but I'm also thinking I may be retiring in the next three or four years and will then start accessing this money. So should I start putting some money in my Roth 401k, which I haven't put any money in so, yet? So let's, let's, uh, let me ask a couple questions. Do you owe anyone any money? Um, we have a, a mortgage 
of uh, roughly 250,000, you know, which, you know, I may or may not pay off yeah. when I retire. You know, it's it's not a bad payment. Do you have what do you have in money saved outside of the 401k? Do you have any money in a Roth now or in a brokerage account and, or Yeah, we <clears throat> we have brokerage accounts um uh, you know, outside of uh, IRA money, I probably have another um, seven hundred thousand. Okay, and the reason we asked is that um, at retirement, it's it, ideally we get to retirement and we have a variety of different buckets to pull from. So, if we need a say our car dies and we do need a new car, we're not forced to pull money from our four hundred one k or IRA, which is a taxable event. We have other options to look at. So, you're, it sounds like you're in good shape there. If you switched some or all of your pre-tax 401k deposits to a Roth, um, I suppose one can make the argument that you would have more set aside for retirement. But the challenge is your, your adjusted gross income is going to increase by that same amount. It's going to go up. Which which will trigger more taxes today. And, and the perhaps the medic, that's a smaller issue because it's not going to impact but it that it much. Will, it could affect the, it will most certainly affect the Medicare part B premiums. Yeah. So the answer to the question, we agree with your CPA. We agree with, but let's look at the overall situation. So do you have money in the bank as well? Yeah. How much do you have in the bank? Well, about 700,000 between brokerage accounts. um, As far as like uh, CDs, things like that. Uh, probably about 250000 Okay, so so if you were sitting in my office today and we said, okay, Karen wants to retire in three years, what should we do? The first thing I would do is probably look to see what the returns were on that brokerage account and the, and the money in the bank and take anything that has a lower yield than what your cost of money is on the mortgage and liquidate it and pay off the mortgage. Because you said... I've got a, a low payment. It makes sense. But the reality is you're probably lending money at 2% and you're paying someone else 3.5% or 4% to borrow the same money back. So either you take more risk or you actually sell off those risk, close to risk-free assets and pay down your mortgage because it's going to increase your overall net. Let's say that we move that number as 1%. That's an extra $2,500 a year to you. Let's say it's one and a half percent, right? It's thirty-seven hundred dollars. So it, it's not a huge factor. It's, it's got. She's calling, to, looking to save a couple thousand dollars on taxes. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> right, yeah, fair enough. Right. <laughs> the savings there would be much greater than whatever we're talking about the Medicare B. That's correct. Yeah, that's that's my correct. point. Yeah. My point is, you, Karen, you focused on an issue that your accountant brought up, which is great, and we agree with your accountant. But if you were my sister. My older sister, by the way, slightly. <laughs> I would sit down and say, Karen, let's look at the overall situation and take into account the tax ramifications. But let's see what you look like in retirement in three years. You And, and retirement's probably um, in the future, possibly in three years. It all years. depends on what your lifestyle is. But this 175000 to $200,000 a year is pretty hard to make up. That's a big number, mm-hmm. unless you've been unless you've been saving some the last few years. And she has been saving some, yeah. And the money's in the brokerage, but that's what I would look at. And and also look at you know what your what the um, survivor benefits on the pension planning for those. So I, I think Pat's point is um, really it's, it's probably worth your while to take a broader look at your overall what's your retirement income look like, not just a couple years from now, and not just between now and three years when you might retire, but over the rest of your until you're 95 or 100. Yes. And planning through those issues and with the age difference, I mean, odds are, um, and obviously you've thought about this, odds are you'll probably be widowed one day, right? So your husband will probably predecease you by a number of years. What's that income look like during those that time? And I, I think having a broader, a broader picture of this might be helpful for you. I, you're you're certainly doing the right things. You're yeah, saving yeah, you're well. saving, yeah, you're I mean, saving, you're, you're saving you are, well. You're in great shape. You're just no we're, we're just cleaning up around the edges. Yeah. All righty. Right, one more quick question. Yeah. <clears throat> when when I retire, like my husband is getting a pension, so his Social Security 
he gets like $200 a month because they did that haircut. Yes. Um, when I retire, is he able then to switch over to 50% of my Social Security? No, because of his the windfall elimination provision. Oh, okay. All righty. Sorry about that. All right, thank you. Thanks. Right. Good, good luck, Karen. <laughs> Sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things. So yeah. uh, appreciate you, you calling. And um... yeah, so Scott, this that whole I'll use an analogy in my own life. Cause I I my, the top of my deck looked terrible in my backyard, but with the wood deck. So I brought a contractor over, and I'm like, Hey, can you uh, kind of sand this down or resurface? So we put that fake wood in there, and he's like. Yeah, that'd be great," he said. "Except, look under here. Oh, it's dry rot. <laughs> well, it was worse than that. The pilings had been all uh, the the concrete, whatever they pour those things in, and that thing. And so the reality is, I was trying to do stuff on the surface, and it was much greater than that. I'd say if if I never didn't worry about inflation, I would not own a home. Okay, that's true. <laughs> I rented a house for about six months. Years ago, we built a new house, which I would not do again. Actually, I kind of enjoyed the process. I just don't like. Uh, but when you when I rented, anytime there's a problem, there was just one number to call, and that was it. And then you hang up, you don't think about anything again. It's not and my problem. It's a beautiful thing. And when you own a home, and as the home ages, you get the dry run. Yeah. By the way, your personal residence do not view as an investment. You consume it. You consume your home. And to maximize your net worth, if that's your objective anyway, live in the smallest dwelling as possible. And if you're going to have additional real estate for investment, have them as rentals so somebody pays you rather than you pay it. Let's talk with David. David, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Thank you, uh, Scott and Pat. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm 67, recently retired, happily married. (laughs) And I've put most of my retirement funds into Vanguard index with about a 50-50 split between equities and bonds. And I've had several people approach me about putting some of my retirement funds into fixed annuities as a way of diversification. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to get your opinion on that. Did they approach you at the bank? No. Well, um, would, would you annuitize them immediately, or would you... Yeah, what's the benefit to you? Yes. Why do they? these people tell you you need an annuity? Diversification. Okay, so what's inside the annuity? What's inside a fixed annuity? The same stuff well, you own. Is, <laughs> it's the same stuff you own. My limited understanding is like an insurance policy. It pays off a certain amount. Um, it, my wife, totally against it okay. because of bad it, press and... It, well, it's like that. So, well, Here, so, so there's a there's a difference. There's fixed annuities, and then there's fixed immediate annuities, and then there's index annuities, and then there's variable annuities. There's a bunch of different types of. Annuities. But we're going to talk about fixed annuities and immediate annuities, right now. So, if they're talking about a fixed annuity, all they're doing is talking about something that has a fixed interest rate for sometimes a period of time, sometimes not a period of time. And what they're doing is, you take your hundred thousand dollars, you give it to this insurance company. And that insurance company promises you a rate of return that is fixed in nature for a period of time. What does the insurance company do with that money? They don't keep it themselves. They actually go back and they invest in real bonds, estate, primarily mortgages, mortgages, primarily bonds. Most, mostly fixed income. Mostly fixed income, which is exactly what 50% of your portfolio is now. Why do people buy the fixed annuities? Well, sometimes they buy them because they might have a little bit of guarantees on them in terms of we promise that the interest rate will never go below this. They might feel better than bonds because they don't fluctuate in value. They don't fluctuate in value. So you're paying someone to kind of keep you in the dark so that the bonds don't fluctuate in value. Assuming that you have a well-diversified bond portfolio, there's no reason for a fixed annuity. Now, an immediate annuity is something completely different. An immediate annuity is you buying a pension that will pay out for a fixed period of time or until your dying day or your spouse's dying day. Same thing happens there. What's the insurance company do with that money? They take and they buy bonds. That's what they do. They buy bonds um, and they will pay that out to you for the rest of your life. Buying an immediate annuity in this environment means you're locking in a low, low interest rate for the rest of your life. You probably have no need for either. I can't imagine why you would. And are you spending any of this money that's at Vanguard? No. Okay. No, you have then no, even more so now. Yeah, you have no need for any of this. 
any of it. And I think Jack Bogle's portfolio was very similar to this when he passed away. So, yeah. 50%. <laughs> you're, and you're fine. You're fine. I mean, you're absolutely fine. Um, yeah. How do they approach Jack you, though, Bogle, when you say— the founder when, of Vanguard. Where do, you, where do you hang out that the in, in fixed annuity people get to approach you? Golf club. Oh, got, ah, okay. got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's, that's why, why I don't— they're that's, why, out. that's why I don't golf. Because the annuity salespeople. The annuity salespeople. No, no, you. No, you, I appreciate your you have no your advice it. and straightforward approach. And yeah, I, yeah, I would buy reassurance. No, yeah, no, no, I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. And and there, are, the annuity products are so missold, and there's so many garbage products out there that I think the industry would be, the world would be better off if they didn't exist. However, there are some circumstances when they could make some sense. Sometimes an immediate annuity for someone that really wants that guaranteed monthly income, and uh, they're willing to give up control of their principal for that, and that's like buying a pension. There are times when that make that makes sense. Uh, there are times when uh, some of the the guarantees and some variable annuities years ago when they were they, they were, made sense. They were cheaper. The insurance companies didn't price them quite correctly. The, they the, were, made sense. But. The problem with annuities overall is that they're very very complicated products, and the average consumer cannot tell the difference between. Nor good can the average agent who sells them. They, they, yes, can't tell the difference between good or bad. Um, right? Even us, when people bring in annuity products that they've purchased from someone else. We have to actually get a hold of the contracts themselves, and uh, we we pour over them to tell the clients what their options are. How do they get rid of them? It's not it's not that simple. So, yeah, I wouldn't bother. Enjoy the golf, though. I appreciate your advice. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we've got this week. It's, as usual, been a pleasure being with you. Thank you for taking some time to be part of uh, All Worth today. And we are broadcast the same week at the same time. We'll see you next week or now in the podcast. This has been All Worth Financial's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.